So hello today, folks. Today we have with us Ellie Fati. Ellie is the co-founder and CEO of MindBridge AI, a company that uses artificial intelligence and machine learning technologies to uncover errors in financial data. Ellie serves on the board of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce and Startup Canada, as well as the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. And he recently completed a six-year term on the board of the Ottawa Community Foundation. Ellie is an experienced entrepreneur, and his ventures to date have employed about 300 people, have contributed over $500 million in salaries and other benefits. Today, we're so lucky to have Ellie with us. Hello. Good morning. Ellie, thanks so much for being with us. I wanted to take the time today to simply ask you about some of your achievements and also what you're doing now with MindBridge AI. You're also such an experienced entrepreneur, and we're really looking forward to speaking with you today. So I start, thought I'd start off pretty simply and just ask you, what is MindBridge AI? MindBridge uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to uncover anomalies in data. So that's the simplest answer. Now, what does that mean? Notice I did not say what type of data, I did not say the size of the data, because when you're dealing with AI, generally you think about big data. And yes, we can handle a big data, but really our first emphasis was looking at financial data. And the first thing that we wanted to do is really solve a real problem. In many situations, a lot of the AI companies are looking at solving a unique or specific niche area. What we are trying to do is really transform an industry. And the first target market that we looked at is the financial industry as seen by the eyes of the auditors, and specifically the external auditors. And this is an industry that has not change for the last hundred years, and we are really transforming this profession called accountants and auditors with this tool. That's fascinating. I know one of the most interesting data points that I've looked at recently was just even McKinsey taking a look at almost every field and identifying something like that 70% of activities can be automated, uh, especially around data collection and tracking. What I'm wondering is, specifically in regards to accounting, like what are those main blocks of activities that could be automated or could be made more effective through AI? So if you look at a normal audit process, first of all, what is an audit? For people that are not familiar, a company, specifically non-for-profit, mid-sized companies, companies that have shareholders, and of course, publicly traded companies, are mandated to have an audit. What does an audit entail? When you look at a past year of operations, an auditor takes this data, generally they're called general ledger that is really the representing the DNA of the company and go through a process to determine that the information that is presented in the financial statement of the company reflects accurately the operations of the company. And how does this process work? Generally, the auditor will take the data in some form, which is right now in an ERP of some form. And by the way, there are over 500 ERP systems. So you can look at the complexity of acquiring this data, you need generally to clean it up because when you're dealing with 500 ERP systems, generally the data is not clean. Uh, The first thing that you have to do, and this is really one of the first tasks which is time consuming, is to take this data, shape it into a way that you can now process it. Second, what is done, this one is known as the field work. The auditors have a team that come into the company and looks at the process. That's a very massively time-consuming process. The second step is once the data is clean, is to really evaluate a small sample of this data 
And the reason that the small sample is done because in today's, with the current tools that are being used, they are unable to go through the whole process. And then based on the sample, and the notion of the sample is to identify lack of a problem or an error or anomaly in the sample in the hope that that will signify a lack of problem in the full data set. Generally, the next step is to ask for substantive testing. So they're going to say to the individual, the CFO in a company, I select this particular transaction, bring me the piece of paper that shows to corroborate that this is really was done in the company. And after that, there is an audit opinion. So that's the process. Where the biggest challenge I mentioned is the front end. The second challenge is that you only are dealing with a small sample of data. And the problem with that is like fishing. If you go to a lake and you try to fish and the fish does not bite in one area of the lake, you assume that there are no fish in the lake. And that's not accurate. <laughs> yeah. And that's really where audit and AI can meet and solve these two problems. The front end, which is the data ingestion, data mapping, data cleansing, and then to do 100% testing of the data. That's really, really fascinating. I particularly love that example <laughs> and the fish in the lake. That makes a lot of sense. Very easy metaphor to understand. One thing that I find is so interesting, and obviously I work in this space as well in artificial intelligence, is there seem to be so many different opportunities uh, to use AI to make things faster, to make things better, or simply far more insightful. And one of the questions I had for you was, you know, accounting is so prevalent. Every business needs to do it, especially in the large enterprises and big organizations. But what are some of the barriers to enterprises in particular adopting AI right now? Or how do you think that they need to see the problem differently so that they can adopt this faster? So we have to separate auditing into two parts. There yeah. is an external audit and there is internal audit. So external audit is where an audit firm like the big four, if it's EY or Deloitte or PwC, KPMG are coming and entrusted by the company to go through the books and provide the audit. The second part, which is a much larger, is the internal audit. So each company, especially the larger companies, have a team of internal auditors that uh, are entrusted with finding out that the company is functioning properly and to provide proper result to the management team. Now, initially, when we looked at the AI and we launched the product a year and a half ago, but when we launched the company and we looked at talking about this, the first reactions were as follows. AI, how do you spell artificial intelligence? So that was a big concern. People talked about it's a black box, the privacy issue, the bias of the algorithms, the ethical side of it. Oh, and by the way, uh, how does it fit into my methodology process? And what do the regulatory body and the licensing body think about it? Two years later, no one is more asking about the technology side. They've accepted that AI is here to stay. It's no longer an issue on the AI. Mm -hmm. Still, the main concern is how does it fit into our process? Now, you have to bear in mind that there are different types of, uh, like any company, of knowledge in the process. And clearly, the younger generation, uh, let's say with auditors that are with 10 years of experience and less, are more familiar with technology, more mm. accustomed to that, whereas the management team, the 
partners that are dealing with this generally are more mature people with maybe 25, 30 years of experience, and they might have not been as accustomed to be the technology, yeah. but they are the ones that are making the decisions. Mm -hmm. And there is this push and pull between the two generations to say, we really need to move into the technology base, the AI is here to stay. And as a matter of fact, one of the important element is if you look now at accounting firm, generally accounting firm should look like a triangle where you have many young inexperienced and little experience at the bottom mm -hmm. with then few manager, more experience, few partner, the senior partner and the management. But in reality, this triangle right now is actually more like a diamond. Why? Because the young generation of auditors and CPA are leaving the profession. Why? Because mm -hmm. what I mentioned earlier, you have this boring job of taking data and manipulating it. And you ask people that mm -hmm. went into and the auditing and the CPA world to become a computer scientist. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is boring. And the millennials don't like boring jobs. And this is where AI is going to come and help to really go from a diamond shape back to traditional triangle shape organization. That's such a fascinating way to pull it back to simply talent management and career development as well. I mean, I can anecdotally say as well as a millennial that many of my friends who've gone in the accounting or even the early finance professions, I mean, it's often sort of an up or out idea. And, and then maybe they'll do their two years or their three years of due diligence at the firm in time there, but then will often leave for other more flexible opportunities. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, as, as you said, like that required less manual data entry and less time. But so the opportunity for firms to maybe recapture their own talent uh, that's a really, really interesting idea that I didn't think of. I want to ask you, before we go a bit further into sort of talking about AI, and I want to ask you about sort of Canada's AI development, but I want to ask you what brought you to this point with MindBridge AI, and could you tell us a bit more about your background and your career? So this is my uh, seventh startup. I had wow. three exits before, and uh, what happened after my uh, last exit, if you look at the last exit, basically I started it with a 21-year-old and we looked at the internet area and we, uh, we decided we're going to start this company and we started it bootstrapped with uh, very little money down. And for the first two years, we don't take any money out and we build actually software for doing surveys. And if you remember going, it was started in 2008, going mm -hmm. back then it was the recession and then we had two huge companies. There are two giants, Qualtrics that was just purchased for $8 billion. Yeah. And uh, Survey Monkey, yeah. and there we are, tiny little company in Ottawa that started, and it was an amazing journey. I mean, we we started, and the first year we did nineteen thousand dollars in revenue. Year two, one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars in revenue. Nice. And you can assume that we did not take any money. Yeah. And we uh, and we say what kept us alive, and um, believing that we should continue, but we did. And we built it to about $10 million in sales, and we had about 70 people. And then SurveyMonkey was interested to purchasing us. And it's interesting because really we had the best enterprise product, but we were a tiny little company. Mm -hmm. And when we looked at it, we said the market, we will never be able to compete in this kind of a market, in this two huge organization. And it was good time to, uh, to get an exit. But when after the exit, I basically knew that the next level was in AI. So I mm -hmm. started, I had a small team with uh, three, four people. So I went to be in an incubator and I wanted to look for the next uh, wave. And I knew that the next wave was in AI. 
And I uh, was working at the incubator, and one of my mentees kept on approaching me and said, look, I'm starting this company. Yeah. Uh, I would like you to join. And uh, I was, meanwhile, was very fascinated with the AI, and I had a small team that were experimenting mm-hmm. with uh, especially NLP to look at how to, can we look at financial data utilizing uh, natural language processing. And uh, when he kept on, he was very persistent, <laughs> and he launched the company, and about four months later, he asked me, and I said, you really have to come, and because he asked me before he started it, and I said, look, I'm still in the company, I can't. Yeah, so he yeah. did he launch it, and then after I left the contract with SurveyMonkey, I said, it makes sense to combine the two things together, and we did. And mm-hmm. I joined full time, and this is uh, the rest is history, kind of as they say. That's awesome! Wow. And for the listeners, that previous company was Fluidware. Yes. Then bought and acquired um, by SurveyMonkey. So I mean, incredible exits, incredible time. I think that that's so interesting how that happens so organically to bring you to this point. I think so many times it seems like entrepreneurs are often waiting for that critical like junction or or some divine message. But I think you know very often it's being in the community. And that can really just be the opportunity and you meet someone, a great founder with a great idea, and then you kind of jump in with them. Um, or maybe you go and make that happen. I think that as well, what you mentioned too with your story with Fluidware, I mean, those first two years, like you were grinding it up, bootstrapping oh, for it. sure. You know? And that's how you eventually got to a solid exit. Yeah. So really interesting lessons for your career there. Um, I want to jump back to AI because that's the podcast. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you... Um, what do you think the opportunity is for Canada's AI development um, globally? Like, how can we compete as a country? As you know, I write a lot of blogs and uh, have speaking engagement about Canada and the role of Canada. Mm-hmm. I strongly believe that uh, Canada right now is a leading position in AI. I think that the Canadian government has done magnificently, and that's led by our prime minister, who really knows AI as good as any AI person Mm -hmm. in this uh, world. And uh, he is a big, huge proponent of AI. And it shows in terms of the investment that the Canadian government has made. Start with the three hubs, Mila in Montreal, Amy in Edmonton, and, of course, the Vector Institute in uh, Toronto. So you have this uh, led by three superb, what are called the three wise men, you know, Rick oh, yeah. Sutton and Jeff Hinton yeah. and Joshua Bengio. You have the people, the father of deep learning, the father of uh, reinforced learning. So you have uh, a way that we can get the next generation of data scientists. So that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Also, the government put a lot of money into the super clusters. Mm-hmm. So from a Canadian government perspective, they are doing all the right things. Now, you see what happens. We have over 650 startups of AI nature. An ecosystem cannot be without the big corporations. So we're seeing that a lot of the big corporations are opening offices, all of, if it's Apple and if it is uh, uh, Google and so on, uh, Ford, they're all opening uh, and have opened research center in Toronto mainly, some in Montreal. And uh, so you need this ecosystem associated with the big companies as well as the startup community. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, we... Uh, have a leading position right now because of of this area of expertise that we have. And what we have to do as a country and in the industry is to translate from 
where it is, which is small. And, and we have to remember, AI is really three years old. If you look at the current spring, I would say that the real, real effect could I mean you can go back to a deep mind purchase by Google of 2014. Mm -hmm. I would like to go back to actually 2016 when AlphaGo Zero was introduced, mm -hmm. and really, which was just short two years ago. So if we look at that, it's a very, very tiny and new industry, but it can grow to big numbers. And we know that PwC announced uh, just about six months ago they did a study and they expect that the returns in terms of accretive to GDP by the year 2030 will be $15.7 trillion. So that's a big number to be accretive to the current GDP. If you look at Canada perspective of $2 trillion, if we can add even 10% to it a year, which is another 200 billion, or even 1%, you know, or 100 billion a year added, that means a lot to Canadians in general. That Particularly when our, you know, our oil, our resource industry, traditionally been the bedrock of the country's economy, is, is floundering um, in, in a world of increased competition. That it could completely, you know, reinvigorate our economy. Absolutely, and yeah. you're talking about oil. Data is the new oil, and go. we have yeah. leading position in a number of areas. Obviously, we cannot boil the ocean as a country. The government has done the right things in terms of investments. But it dwarfs by, if you look China, $100 billion by the year 2030. If you look at uh, France, they just put 2.5 billion euros. The UK, 1.5 uh, pounds. Uh, so we're dealing with worldwide where there is a significant investment in this area. We have a leading position. We cannot squander it. We have to now generate some leading companies with headquarters in Canada that will become leaders in AI. Absolutely. Though we definitely have some challenges as an industry and as a country, what, what do you think we could be doing better to compete? What do you think is missing from our current approach? For me, the biggest challenge that we have, and we cannot really avoid that, is the funding from the VC community mm -hmm into the AI is not as significant as we see in other countries. I'm talking about the, the private sector, not the public sector. Yep. Yep. And generally, if you look at investment in the U.S., the investment are much larger at an earlier stage of the company versus Canadian, where the VC community waits for a longer time to get uh, appreciation that the company is doing well and they invest a lot less. And that's very difficult. Basically, you, you're dealing with competing uh, with your hand tied behind your back against the uh, more f bigger, uh, heavier-funded companies in the U.S. So that's one thing, and I don't know how to change that. That's not possible. I don't want to move to the U.S. I mean, the answer is to move, and I don't want to move. I think that we want to make a headquarters in Canada. We are very happy. The team in here are very happy. We want to stay here. And I think that we just have to continue with that. So be smarter and bigger and be more nimble than the more funded companies in the U.S. and so on and just go this way. Clearly, we have to create more ecosystem. We have to create the relationship among us and we should try to uh, cooperate. And I think that's another way that we can become better in Canada to be more Competition is opposed to uh, being competitive. Try to cooperate together to create a critical mass in what uh, we do. Yeah, that's. I think that's a fantastic point. One of the um, things I always bring up is, 
it seems like Canada's had such a struggle to commercialize sustainably our technology companies and to yeah. maintain them over time. I think one of the most useful and, and helpful comparisons the government I've heard them make recently is, well, we need to create 10 more Shopify's. Yes. Um, you know, $10 more billion dollars at least of, of technology company value, and then ideally to scale those companies each to $10 billion. So, yeah, I mean, it's a huge challenge for our country. I think we've got to continue to have entrepreneurs like yourself to lift it up. I had a couple last questions for you, and both around talent. And one is around the diversity in sort of AI development and tech. Uh, I think a report just came out, I believe from the World Economic Forum, that said, I think it's globally like only, it's a very small amount of, of women are actually in AI development. Um, in Canada, I believe it was a fifth of our developers in AI are, are female, um, which obviously is not even close to parity. Um, and gender is only one aspect, of course, of that diversity. How do you see um, diversity being essential to sort of AI in, in Canada? How can we make that better? And how is maybe MindBridge um, having an impact there? This is such an important point, and I am a big proponent of women in tech, and I want to speak to that. I'm on the advisory board for Invest Ottawa in this. Uh, during our Impact AI conference, which we held this year and we will hold again next year, we recognize women in tech as an important uh, area. But having said that, let me say the challenges. I've been trying, we as a company, have been trying to hire women into a position of one area of, for example, customer success, which opened up. And we interviewed four women for that position, and for whatever reason, they chose not to for a variety of reasons. And uh, it hurts. It really hurts. We, we are really, really would like to, to add more women into, and I'll explain why in a second, And with all of our effort, we failed. I can tell you we failed as a company. We failed. We could not find the pool to, to join us. So the pool is small. And so we are trying hard, but I'll give us a failure in terms of our ability to attract. Now, let me explain why I think it's important. And we are trying, but we do as I admit that we have failed in order to fill that. One thing I want to say to you is I really respect what you just said. Because I think a lot of people have not admitted failure, even if that is. They, I think they try and whitewash it over or just make it seem like it's okay. So I just want to say I really respect that. It's like, we haven't done it yet. And now, now we do have to figure out why. It, But let me explain yeah. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. why yeah. I think that it's so yeah. vital. Ignore the social aspect, and, which is really important. But just let's look at numbers that will make sense. Yeah. So in Canada, the population is 51 to 49% women to men. So if you look at normal distribution, and we are 34 million. So, so take now 17 million that are women and look at the normal distribution of IQ. And now there are 23% women in STEM and only 11% in tech. So if you take the normal distribution of IQ and you're saying half the population, 17 million, And if you look at normal distribution, half of that, if we look at 100 being normal IQ and 140 starting to become uh, into the Mensa and so on, 160 will be a Mensa. So let's take an easy number, 18 million, 9 million are in the uh, 100 plus, so in the smart category. And if we only have 11% of that pool, that means that we only have out of the 9 million, only 900,000 as opposed to being able to have the whole 50%, which is 
much larger number, right? So we only have access to 900 women that can be in the smart category. Like it's a normal distribution. So we are missing this opportunity to have brilliant women to join the force and help us. So it's so important because that's why as a country, as companies and industry, we need to get access to this pool of uh, the smart people because it's normal distribution. If you look at China and they have 1.4 billion, if you look at normal distribution, they'll have 30 million people that are Mensa for all of our population. And we are missing this portion of it that can add so much to the value of the company. All so, industry. So in terms of what you're saying, though, um, I understand it's okay. We want to get the highest quality, the, the smartest people in our company. Are you saying it's is the problem that there are not enough women who are being attracted to roles in this community? We have to Yes. I think that we have to start young. Yeah. I think that if you look and you read all the studies, when children are, are young, before the age of 10, uh, girls, young women, perform much better than, math and science. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in math and science than boys. But what happened at age 10 and 11, somehow uh, being geek or being smart turns them off. And, uh, Social, they, socialization and, problem. Yeah, yeah and, and then they, and, yeah. they don't really go into STEM. We, we have to change it. It's really important because, I said, if you look at China and others, they do have access to both men and women, and it's really valuable. I wanted to question that a little bit, though, because I thought that one thing that's happening, I mean, there's still a substantial amount of women graduating in STEM careers, but many of them are not able to find roles that are related to the degree that they took. That's one problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think that as industry, and especially in high tech, the STEM, I think that we're doing better, 23%. Yeah. We have to get to 50 uh, Yeah. Uh, but in tech, it's only 11%. It's, it's really very low. And we need more, we need to encourage more, and we have to start at young age. Yeah. And I think that it's important for the country to do that. Cool. Thanks. That's super helpful. I really appreciate you going in depth, especially with the statistics um, on that. Um, the other thing I want to ask you about talent is, in general, what's your advice for younger entrepreneurs uh, in, in tech broadly, and then also maybe specifically in AI to succeed? Clearly, there are not enough data scientists. <laughs> yeah. uh, and with the big companies such as Google and Apple and Ford opening offices in especially Toronto and Montreal and Waterloo, the competition is severe. It's not as bad as in Silicon Valley, but for young entrepreneur, I would suggest finding a smaller locations because if mm -hmm. you're going to be in Toronto, you're going to have a hard time competing for resources. You have to try to find places where it's a lot easier. It's, the competition is not as severe because in today's environment, you can really be anywhere and online you can deal with that. So uh, it is very tough. The competition in AI is really, really tough for talent. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I can definitely say as well, I, I think that the amount of companies and the proliferation of companies in the last few years is immense. Um, and I think the challenge as well as Canadians is, you know, we are competing against, you know, even just the U.S., um, a lot bigger, better funded competitors often. So we've got to figure out what are those unique points of differentiation. Yeah, what is the niche that we target um, and then how do we capture that? So really appreciate um, all of your comments today, Ellie. It was a really, really informative, interesting discussion, I think, across a broad array of 
of topics. Any last comments you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think that one of the things that uh, we are leading in one other area is ethical. Yes. Uh, Joshua Benji just signed a couple of weeks ago. There was the, the Montreal Declaration. Mm-hmm. And as a company, we just signed yesterday the Montreal Declaration, which means we want to be an ethical AI company. And we believe that Canada, one of the roles, Canada has what I call capitalism with a heart. And I think mm-hmm. that what we like to see that at the ethical side, Canada will take a leading position on being ethical. Uh, we're an ethical country, but we want to be ethical AI country, and I think we can take a leading position in this area as well. Yeah, I mean, compassionate, ethical capitalism, I think I'd, I'd love for our country to lead on that, especially if it's AI. Um, I, I do think there's a lot of great work being done, and we just, you know, as I mentioned, had the CIO of the government of Canada, Alex Benet, on the last episode. He, he talked a lot about how we're developing an ethical AI strategy as a country, um, both from in our federal government as well as so that industry leaders can have that framework to rely on and good tools to help us get there. So I'm really excited about that, and I think it's great that the Montreal, you know, declaration is indeed like the global declaration, which is being held in high regard there. So really exciting. Well, Ellie, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Really appreciate your time. Folks, do check out uh, MindBridge AI and their work. Um, Definitely follow them on social media. Follow Ellie himself. He's got a lot of great updates. And if you do want to keep following the Ask AI podcast or learn more about us, Check us out on askai.org or follow us on Twitter at AskAI. Thanks so much and happy holidays. This episode's senior producer was Mike Letourneau and executive producer was Chris McClellan. For more information, please visit our website at askai.org.